welcome back to As For Me In My House podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm Elena. And today we have a very special edition. This this week we have my mentor, Derry Nagel, here with us in the studio. And I'm excited. This was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to get to hear a little bit about Derry and our relationship and all that he's taught me. So... We wanted to address, being that this is the Wednesday before Easter, we wanted to share a little bit about the truth of Easter and the the real biblical story about what this is that we're celebrating. So I'm going to turn it over to Derry, and Melana and I are going to be kind of back and forth, just having a discussion, but we're going to hear from Derry a little bit about what the truth is behind this celebration. Well, actually, I have to ask you up front, Jordan, did, did you warn them about me? I, I, there's really no warning. Uh, it's just, you got to take it. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are in for a treat though. I'll I'll say that. So so just let them be the judge of that. Yeah. (laughs) Tell them a little bit of how how we met, how I approached you and, and all that. Well, you had a, an encounter with one of my sons. Uh, he was answering some questions of the Bible that you had And you asked him a question and he said, oh, well, that would be a good question to ask Dare. And you said, who's Dare? (laughs) And he said, that's my dad. And you said, you call your dad Dare? Anyway, long story short, he gave you my number. You called and you were all, you know, Mr. Holding back, you know, not wanting to be too aggressive. Mr. Nagel, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, and. You know, I don't mean to interfere, but, you know, if you ever have any time, could, would I be able to? I said, what are you doing right now? Nothing. I said, do you have a car? Yeah. Well, come on over. And you came. It was about probably about five, six o'clock in the evening, and you stayed till one in the morning. Yeah. It, I lost track of time. And the rest is history. So, <laughs> And from that point on, for the next seven years, I didn't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> yeah, so... We first met, I was, I think, 14 or 15, right? Oh, you had your own car then. You had to be 16. Okay. I wasn't driving legally then. (laughs) Well, I didn't turn you in anyway. (laughs) I'm neither confirming or denying that. But yeah, so Derry has been my mentor, my go-to in all things biblically. And what I really appreciate about it, what I really appreciate about Derry is he will always tell me to never take his word for what the scriptures say. He challenges me and encourages me to go and do my own research, come to my own conclusion of what the scripture says within the biblical context. In other words, it's not what does Derry think the Bible says, it's what does it actually say. So I always appreciate that about Derry. And uh, that's kind of been my guiding principle as I'm studying the scripture for myself. I know we've, Melania and I have talked about this on the, on the air before, but um, that's really where I, where I learned it from. So the operational verse, uh, whenever I teach, uh, I usually tell people Acts seventeen eleven. um, Paul is talking about, uh, the Bereans. And he says that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that the people in Thessalonica accepted what Paul said, but the Bereans not only accepted it, but then they went home and they pulled out the scriptures and said, Hey, Let's check this guy out and make sure he's telling us the truth. And that's what everybody should do. You're responsible for what you accept as truth. 
and don't accept anything. If it's from dairy, just have a garbage can right next to you so you can throw it away. Okay. But if dairy tells you what the Bible says and the Bible really says that, then it's not dairy. It's the Bible. And that's that's the big. That's so true. And our, we're going to get, I promise, we'll get to the Easter stuff in a minute. But this is just too important to just move right along and and pass by because in our world today, especially it's your truth and my truth and his truth or her truth and not the truth, capital letter T, right? So that's the whole thing Darius explaining here is we need to know the truth. What does the Bible say? It doesn't matter what somebody with five doctorate degrees says or someone who's lived the longest it's what does the bible actually say well absolute truth is never open for vote it it, it is truth period and there's nothing can change that i mean you can say that it's not you can fool yourself into believing that it's not you know you can say no two plus two is 187 uh and if you believe that you're believing a lie. <laughs> you know, absolute truth is absolute truth. And the Bible is where we find all absolute truth. Absolutely. And that's, <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> you're right. And that's a great segue because as we're talking about the veracity of the scriptures, them being true or not, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today, specifically with Easter being right around the corner? I have no idea. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I, as we talked about a little while ago, I, I think that there's probably three different types of people in the audience. There are those who are born again, Bible believing Christians and understand what the Bible has to say. There are those who think that, well, I'm a good person and I go to church and I check off all the boxes. So that makes me a Christian. Sorry, doesn't. And then there are those who are skeptics who are saying, these people are off their rocker. I can't believe that they really believe this garbage. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to do some homework. You have to know what you believe and why you believe it. The issue with the Bible is that it's very binary. People try to make the Bible out to be this complicated book and, oh, it's so hard to understand. It's, it's not like that at all. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. It's true. Or it's not true. If it's not true, then pitch it in the garbage and go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Have a good time. This is the only life you have. And when you die, you're done. If it is true, then you have accountability. Then you have to decide, am I going to live my life according to what God has told us? Or am I going to reject him openly? Those are your two choices. It's very simple. And as far as... As far as evidence goes, um, and I know we've kind of talked about maybe doing another show, and I'll, I'll, I'll save it for there, but the evidence is so overwhelming that the Bible is absolute truth. It is God's Word. It was written outside our uh, time-space continuum. There's no way the things in the Bible could possibly be there and have been written by somebody who lives on this plane. It's just not possible. He told us in detail the things that would happen long before they happened. And we have concrete evidence for that. It just just to, just to throw one out for you, uh, there are over 300 prophecies, very specific prophecies about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Absolutely verifiable that they were all written prior to his 
birth by over a hundred years. You know, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls have validated all this. And these are not, these aren't simple things like, a, you know, a, a man with brown hair is going to knock on your door. <laughs> well, yeah, a man with brown hair is going to knock on everybody's door. These are very specific things like he'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be of the, the line of David. He'll, uh, um, when he dies, they're going to pierce his side with a sword. And, I mean, all these things that he had could couldn't possibly have even controlled had he uh, attempted to fulfill the prophecies. There's no way. It's it's mathematically impossible. So many things were outside of his control. In other words, right? It's, he couldn't control where he was born, or something like that, or the method in which he died from somebody else's hands. Right. Correct. Uh, the, the fact that it would be a friend who would uh, who would betray him, that the friend would be paid 30 pieces of silver. I mean, that goes back over a thousand years before the birth of Christ, that that was going to be the payment. It, it, it's the, the, the proofs are, are overwhelming. And I mean, we could get into archaeology. We could get into uh, probability. We can get into textual criticism, you know, talk about how we got the Bible. You know, how did it come down to us? And it's all perfectly verifiable. And if you do your own homework, you're going to find that you cannot dispute the Bible. It's the most validated book in all of human history. Well, you'll notice that I'm kind of quiet during all of this because anytime that Derry does talk, I'm always just here like absorbing it all like, wow, okay. <laughs> like it's a lot. That's going to be all of us uh, today. And this is just a great minute just to take a second and say, if you want to hear more about this, uh, what Derry's talking about as far as the scientific and statistical and archaeological reasoning for the scriptures, just let us know. Send us some messages and and leave us some reviews if those are the things you want to listen to. Uh, we'll be happy to have Derry back on, his schedule permitting. Um, but with that, no, it's great. I, I think it's so important. This is not taught in many churches around America or even the world in general. And I think we need more of this. So uh, we're, again, just very thankful to have Derry on. And with the whole idea of Easter, where does this come from as far as the significance to the Christian faith? And can you tell us a little bit about, for those listening that might might say, well, it's all about Easter bunny and Easter eggs and chocolate. And yeah, I guess there's some Christians that talk about something about Jesus happening, but just for those who are listening, what can you tell us about the celebration of Easter? Well, all of that is heresy, except for the chocolate, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, most people, I, I think, if you, if you did a poll, most people would think that Christmas is the big uh, Christian celebration, you know, the birth of Christ, the Christmas trees, the presents, you know, Santa Claus, the reindeer, all that good stuff. Right. By the way, there really was a Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. Uh, actually, we're going to be talking about him uh, briefly in, in a few moments. Um, but it's not his birth. It's not Christmas that we really, that makes Christianity what it is. The resurrection. If the resurrection did not happen, 
then none of this is true. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ didn't rise from the dead, of all the people on earth, we're the most pitiful, the most to be pitied because we're believing a lie. We're we're basing all of our eternal existence on something that never happened. By the way, the resurrection, the proof of the resurrection is overwhelming. If, uh, If Christ were ever taken into a court of law, accused of having risen from the dead because of the evidence that exists, he would be found guilty. He really did rise from the dead. It's all there. Um, and again, that that's probably another, uh, a, a whole nother uh, show. So yeah, we'd, we'd definitely be interested in that as well. So that's, I mean, you could spend 10 podcast episodes unpacking that I'm sure, but yeah, that I think, People would be interested to hear that, too, down the road. Well, um, I mean, as far as Easter goes, um, you don't find Easter in the Bible. The word Easter is nowhere to be found in the Bible. Jesus never celebrated Easter. The apostles did not celebrate Easter. So where did Easter come from? And what really is the resurrection? Well, how does this all fit together. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today. So, well, let's start with the word Easter. The word Easter um, probably has pagan sources. There are evenly divided uh, men, uh, theologians on this subject. Uh, A lot will say that, well, it came from Ashtart, which is in the Bible, or Ishtar, which was the Egyptian goddess. Some say it was a, a German goddess of the East called Uster. Um, and you can pretty much trace these things all the way back to Babylon, which is where all uh, the false belief systems came from originally anyway. Uh, very important point in the Bible. Another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're just chock full of them. So, um, you know, the, the word itself is um, uh, probably derived from a pagan source. But how did we begin to celebrate Easter. Well, the early church never did. The early church uh, actually celebrated Passover. If you go back to scripture, uh, when Jesus first made his public appearance to John the Baptist, what did John the Baptist say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, we all have heard that, all of us who grew up in church or have been to church. or uh, I mean, it's, it's very, a very famous line. But as Gentiles, we don't, we don't grasp the significance of that statement. But the Jews that were standing there that day, they knew exactly what John the Baptist was talking about. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, what lamb takes away the sins of the nation? The Passover lamb. Every year, the Jews celebrated Passover. A lamb would be chosen, a perfect lamb without spot or blemish, and would be sacrificed for the sins of the nation. Um, So they recognized right away that Jesus was connected to Passover. Then, if you fast forward uh, to his uh, when he was uh, crucified, well, we'll, we'll, you know what? We'll get to that in a minute. Let's. One thing I wanted yeah. just to jump in there on that. I think that's a great point, and uh, not to belabor it, but I think it's so important to understand the context of the scripture and how we're talking about the Jewishness of our 
of our Christian tr- tradition where these ideas come from. It's not just somebody pulled it out of a hat and said, oh, let's let's start celebrating Easter, right? There's a tradition of going back to the early church, back to the first disciples, back to even beyond that, to Abraham, to Moses. And we see how God has essentially kept his promises all throughout time of when the Savior would come, how he would come, the manner in which he would redeem everyone. And I think the context is so important because if we as Gentile Christians don't understand what the Passover means and all the riches that are in the scriptures, we can just completely miss it and misunderstand, misinterpret and not know what's going on. So uh, it's I use the, the analogy of since Melania and I live here and you two, we're University of Michigan fans, right? So we'll say go blue. And you and I understand what we mean by that. And when we say go blue, it means we're cheering on University of Michigan sports teams. But somebody from a different country or a different state even might not know what you're talking about unless they're here in the context and understand, oh, they're you know, University of Michigan fans. That's why they're saying go blue. Right. And to say go blue to them, they would be thinking that you need to see a urologist. (laughs) (laughs) Not even going to probe, but. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's a great point of of how um, it's important to understand, go back before the actual church tradition to where we find this in scripture. Um, Well, do you want me to back up and, and trace the lamb from Genesis? I mean, I won't go through everything, obviously, but... Yeah, let's just highlight it a little bit and tell us where this whole idea comes from. Well, I mean, again, I believe that the Bible is literally true, that there really was an Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve truly did sin, uh, just as God said. Uh, They tried to cover themselves, and I won't go into all that. That's another podcast. But uh, they tried to cover themselves uh, with, with... vegetation. And God said, that is not adequate. That's not, that will not suffice. And so the very first death, physical death happened right in front of Adam and Eve. God killed an animal, which I believe was a ram and he covered them with skins. He gave them clothes of skins. Their second son, uh, Abel raised sheep. Well, this is before anybody ate meat. The eating of meat didn't come about until after the flood. So why is Abel raising sheep for sacrifice? And then we find that Cain and Abel have an issue over that uh, when we get to chapter four. And uh, uh, Cain ends up killing Abel. So the first human death takes place. But then you can follow the, the, the lamb. You can follow the sheep and you follow it all the way through scripture until you get to the exodus. Uh, when the Jews were in Egypt, which is a picture of the world, and they were uh, slaves, they were in, in slavery, and God uh, brought about the 10 plagues. Well, the 10th plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And the way to avoid that was to trust in God when he said, he'll take a lamb, a perfect lamb without blemish, You'll keep it in your home for four days. Let your children name it and play with it and get familiar with it. And on the fourth day, 
you will slice its throat, catch the blood in a basin, put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils, which are the, uh, that's the, the lentil goes across the top, the, the doorposts are the sides. Put a, a blood stain on your door. And when the angel of death comes to take the firstborn, when he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. That's where we get Passover. And then, interestingly, interestingly enough... Now, hold on. Let me stop you right there, because that sounds like such a weird request and doesn't make sense. Why four days? Why a perfect, non-blemished male lamb in his prime? Why kill it? Why use its blood? What, what's the point of all that? Well, uh, we, we know from Leviticus... Uh, chapter 17, verse 11 says that the life of any creature is in the blood and God requires your blood for salvation. Uh, when we get to Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And that's what uh, that's why we we call salvation blood washed saints. Well, whose blood are we washed in? The blood of Christ. Now, obviously, it's symbolic, uh, but it was his blood that was shed for us to cover our sins. And that's what is taking place there in Egypt. So um, so this is all just a picture of what the Messiah would do. And that's back to your point on John the Baptist. Behold well, the yes land. and no. I mean, this happened to real people in real time in Egypt. Uh, at the time of the first Passover. But yes, it was something that became uh, a symbol or a typology of what the Messiah would do when he came. So yes. And the interesting thing is that after the uh, they were they were to roast the lamb that they killed. Uh, they were to roast it, and they were to stand with their uh, their their garments on, ready to leave, ready to ready to move out and eat the lamb. And then when the, when the, the call came, they were to, to move out and they all left in one night. And by the way, archaeology backs that up, verifies all of that. And it was a three day journey uh, until they crossed the Red Sea. And that's all going to play into the, 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 the concept behind uh, the, the resurrection, which is what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. So um, that was the context in the church age. That's what the apostles understood. That's what the, uh, the, the disciples of those apostles, Polycarp and, uh, you know, those uh, Eusebius and all of them, um, they understood that as well. But you have to get out to the fourth century, to 325 AD. That's when everything got blurred. That's where Easter comes from. You see, in 325 AD, that was when um, Constantine was the emperor of Rome. Uh, it was illegal up to that point to be a Christian in the Roman Empire because Christians believe that Jesus is God. Caesar's not God. None of the Roman gods are God, only Jesus. Now, had Christians said, well, yeah, Jesus is just one of our gods, you know, and we, we, but we accept the emperor and we accept all these others. There would have been no problem, but the Christians wouldn't do that. That's idolatry. Mm -hmm. And so 
because they only believed in Jesus, they were killed. And we know about, you know, the Colosseum. We know about the, you know, the being thrown to the lions. We know about Nero uh, using them as torches in his garden. He would dip Christians in, in pitch and, and tie them to a stake and light them on fire to light his gardens at night. Crazy, crazy things happen. And these people were dying. Christians were dying because they believed that Jesus was God and they believed that he raised from the dead. All they had to do was say, yeah, okay, I'll back off on that. And they wouldn't die. But they were dying literally by the thousands. For a lie? I don't think so. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody dies for something that they know to be untrue. And the people in Nero's day were there. They knew what happened. They saw it. They were eyewitnesses. And so uh, for them to know in their hearts that it wasn't true and still die makes no sense at all. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a crazy thing to think about because when you start talking about, you know, a couple generations removed from Christ, you're no longer talking about the disciples that were there actually on the earth with him dying, who, by the way, all but John died, uh, you know, were, were martyred. Martyred, right. Yeah. And so now you're talking about the disciples' disciples and their disciples all willing to die for that, too. It, it just mind boggles me to think... There must be something that they saw in their mentors, something that they experienced personally for themselves to convince them that this is true and I'm willing to die for it. That's how powerful this is. Well, I would actually go beyond that. I mean, it's a it's a it's a life change experience when when salvation comes into your heart, your life changes everything changes. I'm not saying that you become perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) Oh, Melena thought that was funny. It was, it was. (laughs) (laughs) But your thrust changes. Your desires change. You want to do what is right and godly and good. Uh, And it's, it's not something... You didn't just get religion. It doesn't work that way. It's an actual change inside your being. The Holy Spirit comes to abide in you and will guide you. If you allow him, again, you have free choice there as well. But we're getting off track. (laughs) Let's go. Another podcast for another time. (laughs) Let's go back to Constantine. So Constantine comes along and most people think that Constantine made Christianity the state religion. He did not. Constantine wrote what is called the writ of tolerance. In other words, it was no longer illegal to be a Christian in Rome. You could be a Roman citizen and believe in Christ alone. That's the writ of tolerance. It was actually a few uh, uh, Caesars later, uh, right around uh, about 380 AD, Theodosius is the one who made it the state religion, and that uh, that sent everything into uh, into a spinning off into a craziness. Another for another time. Um, let's back up. 325 AD is when uh, Constantine is the emperor. Uh, he has become a Christian, according to his own testimony, uh, and he calls a meeting that we know of as the Council of Nicaea. Uh, the Nicene Creed comes from the Council of Nicaea. And 
I want to dispel a, uh, a, a misnomer right away. Many people think, oh, well, that's where they established which books would be in the Bible. They said this one will be in and this one will be out. That is not true. The canon of Scripture was already almost completely established by that point, And it was due to the life-changing effects of these writings uh, in the lives of believers. Yeah, and, that, and even Paul says in Romans 3, I believe, that the Jews were the ones that were entrusted with the oracles of God. So from the very beginning, they had all of these books, and they knew that this was a prophet writing from God. This was the the testimony of the kings, and this was the books of Moses, right? So we had all those already established long before and, and by the time you get to Constantine, just about the entire New Testament as well. Uh, there were a couple of books that were mildly disputed, um, but became part of the canon. Uh, any books that were left out, uh, as Christians, we believe that you know, some people think, well, the Bible was written by you know more than 40 authors, 66 books, uh, written on three different continents, three different languages. And from a human perspective, that's true, but that's not really true. The Bible is one book in 66 chapters written by one author, the Holy Spirit of God. So to say, well, you know, they left this book out because they didn't like it or they put that book in because he was a buddy of theirs is to totally discount God, the Holy Spirit and his involvement in getting his word to us and maintaining it through history. That's something you, t you always taught me was if God's powerful enough to get us his word, because a lot of people will say, you know, oh, well, yeah, maybe the Bible was true in, in its original, the actual first ever writings, but it's become so corrupted now over the last few thousand years and, uh, you know, things are, you know, mistranslated. But you always, taught, you always told me if God is powerful enough to get us his word, don't you think he's powerful enough to maintain its integrity throughout history? Yeah, absolutely. That's true. So, um, well, now I lost my train of thought. The meeting. The, the meeting. The meeting. The, the, meet the, the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> yeah. So what was the reason for the Council of Nicaea? Well, there, it was, there were a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, there was a, 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 a bishop in the eastern leg of the Roman Empire named Arius. And Arius was teaching that Jesus was not really God. And so this was a meeting to basically call him out. Okay, it was called Arianism. And uh, he was put down. Uh, I told you that Santa Claus is real. St. Nicholas was at this, at the Council of Nicaea. And St. Nicholas actually got so angry at uh, Arius that he slapped him across the face. So apparently St. Nick has a bit of a temper. <laughs> but anyway. He's not jolly old big man, right? He's um, Actually, he, well, another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um, so uh, so they, they came up with the Nicene Creed, or what many today would call the Apostles' Creed. That came out of the Council of Nicaea. Uh, and then the other thing that was addressed was, Easter. You see, the eastern 
leg of the Roman Empire. There were two legs, the Western and the Eastern. The Western leg was the Roman sector, which had all of Europe uh, and then down into parts of the Middle East, whereas, and in and, uh, Africa. The Eastern leg of the Roman Empire was uh, Constantinople, uh, uh, which uh, uh, all of Turkey, Asia, Asia Minor, you know, not when I say Asia, I don't mean China, but it doesn't, didn't go that far. But everything from following down the Euphrates, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, uh, that would have been the eastern leg. And what most people don't realize is that the eastern leg actually outlived the western leg by more than a thousand years. Um, they moved the capital of the Roman Empire to Constantinople which was named after Constantine um, sometime later, long after his death. Uh, they've, the, the, the general consensus is that the Western Empire died uh, somewhere around 400, between 400 and 500 A.D. Uh, the Eastern leg actually existed all the way into, the, into 1400 A.D. So um, the Eastern leg actually outlived the Western by quite some time. But... The eastern leg of Christianity, the Eastern Empire, they celebrated Passover as resurrection, uh, in, in connection with the resurrection. The Western Empire, which was led by Constantine, they followed, they didn't want to follow the Passover. And it was anti-Semitism. They basically said that we don't want to follow what the Jews believe. And so it was called the Quartadeciman controversy. And I am a proud Quartadecimentarian. Quartadeciman simply means 14th. Passover was always celebrated on the 14th of Nisan. And those who followed Passover uh, as the time of resurrection were called Quartadeciman. That's the Latin for the 14th. They were 14ers, if you will. Uh, and Constantine changed that in 325 AD, along with the rest at the Council of Nicaea. They changed the dating. The way that uh, Easter works is it is the, the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox or spring. The beginning of spring. <laughs> <laughs> Milena looked at me like, what is he talking about? I know, I'm like, about? what day would that be then? <laughs> Next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how they, they uh, uh, calculate when Easter is going to be. And it, it doesn't always coincide. In fact, it usually does not coincide with Passover. Now, this year, it actually is only a couple of days off. Passover is Friday, and Easter is on Sunday. Uh, last year, it was fairly close, but it can be as far uh, separated as, as a month, several weeks. Uh, and that was by intention, because Constantine, there was, there was a lot of anti-Semitism going on in the Roman Empire at that time. And Constantine um, basically said, we don't want to follow them. They, they rejected Jesus. They're the ones that killed him. And so we don't want to follow that. Well, they're not the ones that killed him. Actually, the Romans killed him, if you get right down to the story. But if you look at it in its true context, all mankind killed him. Uh, and so you can't blame that on the Jews. It's not, it's not 
uh, you know, distinct to them. Uh, but that's, this is why we ended up with Easter being celebrated rather than Passover. So you, you mean when Constantine said that, that's where we see a lot of the tradition coming from now, from the church still, most of the denominational side of things where, oh, it was the Jews who were responsible. And maybe some of our Jewish friends feel guilty for that too. Like, oh, I'm paying for the sins of my forefathers for killing Jesus. And because I've noticed that too, I've talked to people and they say, well, yeah, it was the Jews. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was, first off, Christ willingly went along with that plan that was determined before all time with the Father to redeem humanity. But like you said, it was all of us. It was like like we're all born into sin. We're all guilty of that. And Christ willingly took that upon himself. Correct. And, and uh, I mean, I've been asked that question, you know, for years. Uh, and I made that mistake early on. Um, I had a friend who was Jewish and he asked me, you know, did the Jews kill Jesus? And this is back when I didn't know an epistle from an apostle. And I said, well, yeah. And I, I wish I could find my friend today to tell him, Dave, I was so wrong. <laughs> Jesus willingly gave himself up. He told Pilate, he said, you don't have any control over me. You don't have the, the, the power to kill me. I willingly give myself as a sacrifice for all of mankind. Uh, when he died on the cross, he didn't die uh, because of the, I mean, the crucifixion obviously played into it all, but it says that he gave up his spirit. He told the father, you know, it's finished. And he, he commended his spirit to the father. So he willingly took this upon himself because it's the only way that mankind could be redeemed. You know, we're all sinful creatures, uh, and there's no way for you to pay for your sins or for me to pay for your sins or anybody else's sins or vice versa. It's just, it's, it's not possible. If it were in any way possible that Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, that, that uh, a person could save himself, then God did not need to become a man, live the perfect life that we could never live, die the death that you and I deserve because of our sin so that he could give us his eternal life to which none of us are entitled. And that is the gospel. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Yeah. I think that's uh, that can't be told enough and expressed enough. And it just ties so perfectly in because like you said earlier, if the resurrection never happened, we're to be pitied and, and, just completely disgraced, but because it did happen and because Christ is alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, we have that that gospel, that good news that we can preach, or else it wouldn't be good news. If it was just, yeah, Jesus was a nice guy, he was a, a really wise teacher and said a lot of nice things and, you know, the golden rule kind of thing, then what does it matter if he died or not? It, it, there's no point to it. So I think that's you just can't be stressed enough that the gospel is the gospel because Christ is alive and he's not in the ground. Other famous religious leaders died and stayed dead, but Christ is the only one to rise again to which you already touched on. And we can 
unpack this more in another podcast that the evidence is astronomically astounding for that. And yeah, just this is the perfect time of year, the perfect season to share that. So if you're listening to this and kind of wondering, how do I explain this to my friends or how do I witness and share this truth? Dear, what are some ways that we can, as Christians, witness to our friends with this message of, of Easter going forward? Well, I mean, uh, the, the greatest witness, obviously, is a changed life. Um, if you knew me when I was young, I was wild. Um, and people who knew me after I was saved, after I began to walk with the Lord, they recognize a huge difference in my life. If, if you're not living it, then, then don't don't waste your, your, your words, because if people don't see it in your life, then you're just a hypocrite and you might as well just keep your mouth shut. Um, but I mean, if Jesus is who he claims to be, and I know that he is, you know, I've been, uh, studying the Bible for 50 years or very close to it. And I've been teaching it for over 45 years and mentoring, uh, young people for 35, 40 years. Um, the longer that I walk with Christ, the more convinced I become. Not that I need convincing. It's just that the the evidence that keeps coming is beyond comprehension. I mean, it just, you start to see things and it's like, oh my goodness, I just, <laughs> it blows you away every time he shows you something new. So, um, but we kind of were talking about Easter, right? And we wanted to... Uh, Wanted to talk about the celebration. Did Melina, are you going to talk? <laughs> yeah, I am. So I have a question. Certainly. Explain Good Friday and Good Wednesday, you say. There is no Good Friday. Mm. It's a mistake. <laughs> Heresy. <laughs> <laughs> On whose part? <laughs> That's true. So what does that mean? Well... <laughs> The mistake was made in uh, when when Jesus died. It says that the uh, the Jewish leaders went to the the Romans and said that they didn't want the body on the cross. They didn't want the bodies because he was buried. He was he was crucified with uh, two thieves. They didn't want the bodies left on the cross for the Sabbath. Okay. Well, we all recognize that there's a Sabbath every week. Uh, the Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And so the assumption was he was killed on Friday and they wanted the bodies down and buried before sundown Friday, which begins the Sabbath. By the way, the Jews don't reckon their days the way we do. We go midnight to midnight. Theirs is sundown one evening till sundown the next evening. So it could be like 8 p.m., just for example, could start their day, and then it goes all the way till 7.59 p.m. the next day? Is that... Like it changes yes. every day, basically? Correct. That's yeah. correct. Uh, the only And the only day that the Jews have named is the Sabbath, which is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Then what we would call Sunday is the first day of the week. Monday is the second day. Okay, so they're numbered. Um, they don't have names for their days the way we do, at least not in the Bible. 
Uh, I mean, obviously they use it today. Um, so that's where the misnomer of Good Friday comes from. Here's the problem. The problem is Sunday just passed was Palm Sunday, right? And that would be correct. Palm Sunday would have been the first day of the Passover week. That would have been the 10th of Nisan. Jesus is our Passover lamb. If Jesus is our Passover lamb, he was crucified for Passover. So you have the 10th is Sunday, the 11th is Monday, the 12th is Tuesday, the 13th is Wednesday. Passover that year would have been on a Thursday. Okay, now the feasts of Judaism are called Sabbaths. They're high holy days. They're a high Sabbath. If you go back and you read the account, uh, the Sunday, the 10th of Nisan, would have been the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Okay, everybody says, oh, little Jesus, meek and mild, riding on a donkey. That's not how it works. He presented himself as their king. He was presenting the kingdom to them. In that day, if a king rode into your city on a donkey, he was coming in peace. If he rode into your city on a white horse, he was coming for war. Jesus rode in that day on a donkey. And how does he return in Revelation? On a white horse. Okay. But that's just a coincidence. Yeah, that's that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> so, um, he rode in. There, the people are shouting, Hosanna, save now. Uh, and they're singing Psalm 118, which is recognized as a messianic psalm. And the rulers come out and say, you tell them to stop singing that, to stop saying that, because they were proclaiming him as the Messiah. And the leadership said, we will not have this man to rule over us. They rejected him. And Jesus said, if I tell them to stop saying this, the very stones will cry out. And Jordan, that's why you brought back those stones at that gate for me from Israel when you went there, because those are the stones that didn't cry out. Yeah, I mean, you can hang on to them and I got see them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they've never said a word. Yeah. <laughs> Must be mute stones. <laughs> so I anyway. can't handle the dad jokes, guys. I can't. <laughs> So at that point, that's when he actually became the Passover lamb because he came to offer the kingdom to the Jews. That's what his whole ministry was about. He was validating that he was the Messiah. Again, a whole nother podcast. We could talk about what he did and why he was, you know, how he was showing himself to be Messiah. But it was that day that he proclaimed himself as the king and offered the kingdom to them and they rejected it. And it was at that moment that he became the Passover lamb. And then you count the days. And for the next three days, the people kept coming to him. The Herodians came to him and asked him a question. The Pharisees came and asked him a question. The Sadducees came and asked him a question. And the Bible says that 
after he answered those questions, it says they didn't come back and ask any more questions because he whooped them big time. Okay, they, they, they were no match for him and they recognized that he was perfect. He was the perfect lamb. So why was he crucified on Wednesday? That's right. I said Wednesday. Now, I want to tell you up front that there are good men who say, no, it was Thursday. I happen to follow Wednesday. And here's why. Number one, uh, in Matthew um, 12, 49, the Jews had asked Jesus to give them a sign. Give us a sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, an evil and perverse generation asked for a sign. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I'm going to tell you. This is, this is the sign for you. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, you try counting three days and three nights from Friday until Sunday morning and see if you can get three days and three nights. Now, the, the, the argument is, well, any part of a day is considered a whole day. I don't know that I would agree with that. But even given that argument to be valid, that's not what he said. He said three days and three nights. So if he is executed on Wednesday, beginning at nine in the morning, and he dies at three in the afternoon, and they put him in the grave just before sundown, if you count your nights on your right hand and your days on your left hand, you have Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, and sometime after sundown on Saturday, the first day of the week, he arose from the dead. That's where you get three days and three nights. Well, wait a minute. I thought he was the Passover lamb. Why did he die the day before Passover? Well, for one thing, you cannot do any work on a Sabbath. They prepared everything the day before. It was called the day of preparation. It's the day before the Sabbath. And we find that mentioned in all four of the Gospels. The day of preparation is in Matthew 27. It's in Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. All mentioned that he died on the day of preparation. So it was the day before. And I'm going to tell you something that I see that happened that just blows me away. Because it says that the Roman centurion that killed him, that, that was in charge of him, that after he died, he said, he made the statement, and, and some would say, well, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, some will tell you, oh, no, the translation is a son of the gods because he was a Roman. He wouldn't just call one God. Well, first of all, he was stationed in Jerusalem. He understood monotheism, one God. And that is what the man said. That is what we have in the Greek. He was the son of God. Why did he say that? Well, the reason that he said that 
is because Jesus was the Passover lamb. When Jesus said, it is finished, at that exact moment, there was a tremendous earthquake took place in Jerusalem. The shofar, which is a, a horn, a ram's horn that they blow, blew in the temple, and the high priest slit the throat of the Passover lamb, and the veil in the temple, which is made of animal skins, the width of a man's hand, it weighed hundreds of pounds. It took seven horses to put the thing up when they changed it out. Split from the top to the bottom. God opened the way from heaven for man to enter in to the Holy of Holies, the place where no man could go prior to the death of Christ. And all of this happened simultaneously, exactly the same time. That's why this Roman centurion said, truly, this man was the son of God. This, All these things happening at exactly the same time could not be coincidence. So, I celebrate Good Wednesday. <laughs> Wait, so you said something about men not going to heaven until that moment, right? No. Where did they go? I think you meant the Holy of Holies. That's what but, I was talking about, but I you you're you're correct. Okay. About in your in your assumption. Uh in the Old Testament, um in the Old Testament, when people died, uh, the place that they went, which was in the earth, by the way, according to the Bible, uh, was called Sheol. And Sheol is actually two chambers. There is one chamber that is where the wicked go and they're in torment. And there is another chamber called the uh, Abraham's bosom, which is a place that we would call paradise. Mm. And that's where believing saints went. There was a chasm in between, could not be crossed. We know the situation because Jesus told us in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I say story, not parable. That is not a parable. The story of the rich man and Lazarus, I believe Jesus told it in the city where the rich man and Lazarus actually lived. Mm. And the people he was telling it to knew the rich man and Lazarus. And so uh, he was just filling in what had happened since they died. They saw Lazarus laying at the rich man's gate every day. They knew that the rich man did nothing for the poor and that he lived a, a luxurious and self-indulgent uh, life. And after they died, now the rich man is in torment and Lazarus is on the other side. Why do I say it's not a parable? Parables do not use the names, proper names of people, Lazarus. And parables do not name historical figures, Abraham. And Abraham speaks to Lazarus in that story. It's a true story. When Jesus died on the cross, he went to Sheol. He went to Abraham's bosom, to that side. But they could talk back and forth. And Jesus gave the entire gospel, just like he did later on that evening on the road to Emmaus, 
to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says that he started with Moses and worked his way all the way through all the writings and the prophets and explained why he was the Messiah, that he had fulfilled all of these things. He explained that in Sheol that day. And then we find later in one of Paul's epistles that it says he led captivity captive. What does that mean? He took all the inhabitants of paradise side of Sheol Mm -hmm. to heaven. They couldn't go prior to that because the payment had never been made for their sins. Wow. (laughs) My mind is blown. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And I mean, we could go on and expound on that and talk about heaven and talk about you know the different places for the underworld and where you go when you die and who had been there prior to Christ's death and and post his resurrection and things like that so uh, yeah it's just it's incredible to see how the scripture like I was getting chills when you're talking about how succinct and just perfectly in unison and in harmony everything was and I, if I remember, if I recall correctly, too, even the scriptures say that there were the graves were opened and that there were people coming back, rising from the dead. Like, how crazy would that have been right after Jesus died? And that was maybe another reason why this Roman centurion was like, "Okay, what what the heck's going on here? I better I better listen to what this guy, what this guy said. And, you know, I need to go seek out. Maybe maybe went and sought out the disciples and became a convert. You know, I, I just." I find it so fascinating to just let my mind wander and think how many people came to salvation through that moment. And I mean, we know the thief on the cross who asked Jesus to remember him. And he said, on this day, you'll be with me in paradise. That that lends credence to what you were just saying about uh, him going to Abraham's bosom. So I just think it's so cool to see how the scriptures are <coughs> fully intertwined with one another, that there's no coincidence, that there's such, it's all by design, that it's all pointing to the same signature, the same author from beginning to end. And Easter is the perfect proof of that. Perfect continuity from beginning to end. And I've had many people over the years say, oh, but there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Can you name me one? They never can, or if they have something that they think is a contradiction, when you explain it to them, because obviously if you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. And so once it's explained in context, the uh, the, the, the contradiction floats away. It's, it's done. And there, there is none. I, I, again, I've been studying the scriptures for over 50 years. I, I have never found it to be not perfectly in sync from beginning to end. And the longer I study it, the more I learn how perfectly uh, contiguous it is. So uh, I, I would just like to say that uh, I know a lot of the things that I've uh, brought up today are um, they're going to be controversial. You're probably sitting out there thinking, What? Who does this guy think he is, you know, telling us, well, but my church teaches Good Friday. You know, my church follows Easter. And who does he think he is? Then that's a very valid question. You have every right to ask that question. What I want you to do is I want you to go to your Bible and see what the Bible says. I was raised Roman Catholic. I'm not here to bash Catholics. 
but I left the Catholic Church. Uh, I'm a recovering Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Then I was Assembly of God for a while. Uh, I was Baptist for a while. I became non-denominational. Non-denominational became a denomination. I went back and I got ordained as a Baptist pastor. And today when people ask me, well, what denomination are you? I tell them I'm a biblicist. Well, what does that mean? I don't follow any human teachings. I follow the Bible. If it's in the book, it's true. If it's not, pitch it. Don't follow it. Don't believe it just because some man is telling you that this is what it says. The Bible is God's word. Roman Catholicism, Assembly of God, Baptist, non-denominational, Presbyterian, Episcopal, and you could go right on down the list. Every single one of them was founded originally on the Bible. And it's only as time goes on that they begin to bring in man's ideas. Well, you know, we this doesn't violate doctrine, so, you know, and we could save money if we do it this way, you know. <laughs> Okay, well, let's change that. Well, what about this over here? Well, what about that over there? And before you know it, they've left the Bible in the dust. Go to the source and check it out yourself. Yeah, because no one man has it all together, right? We're, we're fallible, sinful by nature. So if we just cling to one tradition or one person's teachings, they could be brilliant and they could be very saturated in the scriptures. But if I became a, a dairyite... <laughs> That would be a, I mean, that would be up, downright heresy, but uh, no, that's, that's an important point to make because there are some great men that have led us and like wanted to uh, hold the, the truth of the scripture in the highest regard. But like you said, there's, you know, traditions get involved in it, different opinions. So I, I can appreciate that, what you're saying, Darius, as far as the Bible it has to be our utmost authority. We can't go off the traditions or what somebody told me or what one person said. It's got to be the Holy Spirit through the true word of God. Wait, you're not a dairyite? Does that mean I'm not getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> the Bible is the source. If you want to know the truth, don't listen to your priest. Don't listen to you. And I'm not telling you to ignore them. I don't mean it that way. But you need to go... Acts 17.11, go to the scriptures yourself, check it out, make sure that the Bible says so. Because if the Bible doesn't back up what's being said, either God's wrong or you're wrong. Which one do you think it is? (laughs) (laughs) Well, wow. I'm probably going to go back and listen to this like five other times to really like fully wrap my mind around everything that was said. But yeah, that concludes this episode. I mean, there was a lot to be said, a lot. I I don't even know how to finish this. Like, how do I, <laughs> you know, I don't. It's hard to wrap it up because we covered so much ground, but um, we just are so grateful to have Derry here with us. And uh, I'm sure you guys are, are going to love this episode. Probably it's been my favorite so far. And uh, I just, every time Derry comes over, I go to his house. It's always a, a great time of encouragement and growing in, in wisdom in the scripture. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys got a little flavor of that today, but 
you know, we want to thank Derry for being here. And yeah, yeah, I just want to say it's, it's been a great honor. It's very much my privilege to be here. I, I feel very, very honored that you even asked. Oh, well, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. So normally if you have a guest on your show, they have some sort of book or some work that they have that you kind of promote. But guys, believe me when I say Derry's just the real deal. He's down to earth. He's genuine. He really just has a passion to teach the word of God to the next generation. So uh, he doesn't have anything for us to promote on his na- on his side other than to make Christ known. So that's that's truly why he's here. He's here just to to get the gospel message out. So again, we we appreciate him being here. And um, if you want to hear more from Derry, if there's other topics that this might have sparked or even a Q&A, I know we talked about doing stuff on evolution and atheism and uh, different topics that we can kind of tackle in a Q&A format. And you want to hear Derry's input on that? I would if I were you. <laughs> then let us know and uh, we'll we'll definitely set that up for a future podcast. Yeah. So you can just DM us on Ask Me In My House podcast's Instagram page and let us know. We want to hear. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Again, thank you, Derry. And we will see you in the next one. Well, thank you uh, again. It was my privilege. Of course. Of course. Bye, everyone.